0: You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org. Hello everyone. Welcome both in person and online. My name is Jess and I've been a member of this church with my children, Ben and Al. here in the congregation with me, which feels both intimidating and wonderful for 15 years. I'm in the sixth and final year of my MA in psychotherapy, now fully established in private practice with just my dissertation to submit. As part of our training, we're required to be in therapy and my painfully slow learning curve has been revealing myself more. In nearly every essay, my feedback has been, where are you in this and what do you think? When I was asked to speak here, I automatically wondered what people would like to hear about recovery, how I could talk about it professionally, be interesting. I wrote a few versions of this before feeling quite lost, until my spiritual director asked me, Jess, what do you want to say? My old essay feedback is still haunting me. Where am I in this? Finding my own voice has been my major challenge and is an ongoing process. So, in a funny way, standing here is a part of my recovery. What do I want to say to you? The desert will rejoice and blossom like the crocus, which will come up on the screen in a minute. I chose this passage because recovery means coming back to life, to consciousness, a return to a normal state of health, mind, or strength. A chance to perhaps rejoice and blossom again after the drought of suffering. Firstly, we have to know what the injury is. When was the normal state of health, mind or strength interrupted? While we can easily know a broken leg or an illness, we cannot always know the mental or emotional injury. Even with an obvious physical illness, we might recover physically, but we might not acknowledge what we have lost. My back has caused me problems for years, and as I get older, I give up more and more things that seem to aggravate it. I have lost freedom to run and to ride horses. I'm good at making the best of things, but I sorely miss running and riding. I will never be that version of me again. The bleeding woman in the Bible knew what she wanted to recover from physically, but we don't hear about the impact of living her life alone and alienated, and how that has affected her mentally. We don't know how difficult it would have been to be part of the society that rejected her and learn to live again, to come back to life. I imagine the physical healing was only a small part of her recovery. I am adopted, and when my therapist asked me years ago how I felt about that, I didn't really understand why she was asking me. In my mind, it's just a fact, and that is how it is. And that is true, of course, too. I can't change anything, but all the while I don't see it as an injury, but as a fact. There is no room for recovery or for a different way of thinking. If there's something in your life that feels unresolved or still evokes strong feelings, despite a seemingly appropriate passage of time, there's probably still a wound that needs tending to. It could be unreasonable anger at someone over a long-ago hurt or grief or despair or depression. We do not live in a culture that encourages introspection. We are all about doing, achieving, improving. We buy books on how to be happier, practice mindfulness when we have time, all of which can be helpful. But I had literally never been asked how I felt about being adopted. Being adopted is something I am told by others and society how I feel about. Lucky, privileged, grateful. Those are words I would have used before I really thought about them. Look on the bright side. Could it have been worse? Time is a great healer. We do it to each other all the time. We absorb the mantras we hear all around us and recycle them. We give grief a government-imposed length of time... And feel wrong if it takes us years and not weeks to get over the loss of a loved one. There must be something wrong with me. I know I should be over this by now. If we're not over it, we haven't tended to the wound properly. A child of around five falls over in the playground and grazes his knee. He runs over crying to his caregiver, who gives him a hug and a magic plaster and kisses it better. He runs off again, still grazed externally, but healed internally because he has been validated, heard, and understood. Our wounds need validating, hearing, and understanding, and we are so bad at that. We imagine we are being self indulgent, narcissistic, I don't know, lots of other negative terms that become adopted and used out of context. We have to know it hurts before we can think about recovery. There is something in the process of honouring the pain that is an intrinsic part of the recovery process. It validates it. Most clients I speak to who have had life-threatening illnesses, including mental health, are quick to discount the impact it has really had, mainly because that is what society does to us too. We can only really take healing seriously if we know what we are healing from and how much it hurt. It would seem obvious to think that we all want recovery, and yet it isn't always true. We make choices, consciously or unconsciously, all the time. And there is a truth in being comfortable in a position, because it's familiar and therefore safe for us. There is a triangle called the victim triangle, or the drama triangle. In this, one person is in the victim position. It wasn't my fault, I was hurt. One person is the rescuer for the victim. I want to make you feel better, get help, solve your problem. And one person is the perpetrator, the enemy, the person responsible for the hurt inflicted. The danger in this triangle is that people around you are pulled into those positions. A victim needs rescuing and needs someone to blame. Being a victim is attractive in many ways. We don't have to be accountable we get rescued, and we can stay angry and hurt. This is not just a human condition as old as time. Think of Adam and Eve. Eve is often blamed, but Adam ate the apple. It is also a cultural way of normality at the moment. Those adverts urging us to sue for damages. Fallen over? Blame someone. It's all around us. Of course, negligence should be addressed, but if I fall over a lumpy pavement because I was on my phone, it's not really all the council's fault. And there is a way of informing the council without being aggressive or thinking of what I can get out of it. Perhaps I could stop looking at my phone instead of the pavement. Of course, there is a difference to being a genuine victim of something that is out of our control. I had no say in being adopted as a baby, but I have a choice about how I live with that going forward. And acknowledging that I had no choice is different from choosing to live in the victim role. I had no choice, and it has impacted the rest of my life. Even when we have had no choice, we do still have a choice about how we live going forward. If we are saying it wasn't my fault, then we are in that triangle, and that is a closed place to be. It limits the choices we make and it prevents us from moving outwards into a different way of living. Further, if we are in that triangle, we continue to live in a defended way and the people we have around us will continue to play out the roles we need them to in order to maintain our own position. So the initial injury, not tended to with compassion, becomes an injurious way of living. It's very powerful and can be very damaging. There is an old joke. A man prays to God, earnestly and diligently, day after day, week after week. God, please let me win the lottery. I would do so much good with the money. It would change my life, and I would make sure it changed other lives. Please, God. Eventually, God replies, buy a ticket. God, of course, acts perfectly. Do what you can to help yourself before expecting me to perform miracles. Help me help you. God does not swoop in in the joke and rescue. That joke made me think a long time ago about whether I pray in the victim role, and the uncomfortable answer was often, yes, yes, you do. Because we all want rescuing. It's in every fairy tale, every written. It has become the happy ending that irks me every time. Being rescued by a handsome prince. Ugh. I think faith can lead us to praying for the miracles as a way of bypassing our own accountability and of course seemingly unanswered prayer leads to despair which feeds in nicely to deepening the sense of victimhood. The victim triangle is twofold because being in the position of a rescuer or perpetrator is also an area of stuckness and both also ironically become victimy. If I have done something hurt someone and therefore been the perpetrator there is every possibility that i hold on to that role it becomes a bit like sackcloth and ashes and i cannot reach out for recovery because perhaps because i don't think i deserve it what do i need to do to clear the path for recovery i need to be accountable to myself and to god acknowledge and ask for forgiveness for the hurt i have caused It has to be genuine, and it takes time to get past the initial hurt and raw pain. We need time to get to the nitty-gritty. If I see a client whose marriage has broken down, they are full of hurt, anger, and raw pain. But over time, we will explore when the marriage started breaking down, and there will be a point when the client will acknowledge that even if they were cheated on, there were probably things going wrong long before that – perhaps they chose to ignore them or stop trying to work on it. If they were the one who was unfaithful, there will be a point when they acknowledge that they had been feeling unheard and rejected, perhaps. It doesn't absolve any wrongdoing, but it does take them out of that triangle. I hurt someone, and I was hurt. And, not but... The and and not but is our instant tool for getting out of that triangle. It means we can hold two truths and that is where understanding and compassion can really begin. Being the rescuer too is a compelling place to be. It gives us power and value and purpose but it takes away the person who is being rescued a chance to figure their own stuff out or to sit in the mud for a bit. Just as the victim and perpetrator roles are all around us, so is the rescuer one. We are all the authors of our own lives, and it's only when we start owning our stories that change can happen. It's hard to witness pain, much easier to rescue someone. Philosophers would say it's a way of avoiding our own discomfort. I think of the scene in Friends when Phoebe tries to think of a truly unselfish act. She nails it. Nearly everything we do for someone else may seem unselfish, but it also gives us a feeling of well-being. If we are rescuing someone, we are treating them like a victim, and we are in that triangle. Of course, rescuing is controversial in terms of our faith. Of course, we want to help people, but as the saying goes, and as Oasis practices, we need to teach people how to catch their own fish, not give them a meal. Being intentional about how we help is crucial. I think it's something we do well in our community and it's something we don't perhaps have time to research in day-to-day life, which is why giving to an organisation or charity that has done the research and is using resources in the best possible way for the people that they are supporting is so helpful. We are blessed, all of us, even when we don't particularly feel it on a bad day. And we are blessed to be a blessing, being intentional about how we are a blessing is important for our own egos as well as for the greater good. There is another, harder reason for not reaching out towards recovery. Thinking about the bleeding woman, I wonder what made her decide to break all social rules and taboos by going out in public, risking her life to just see Jesus. And I think it's a word, hope. The saying goes that where there is life, there is hope. I think of it as where there is hope, there is life. I cannot see clients who have been pushed towards me by someone else because hope is not theirs. We need just a flicker of hope that something could be different to be able to take the first step towards recovery And although in the course of a relationship with a client, hope can waver, if it is there, it is part of my role to hold it for us. I think that's an important thing to consider with someone who is genuinely feeling hopeless. We can carry it for each other, even if we can't give it to each other. We can be with the hopelessness, uncomfortable though that may be. We can validate where they are. It feels hopeless. Remembering the five-year-old, being validated is crucial without being drawn into a rescuing position. If we are at a stage of wanting to recover, we need to firstly choose the right help if we need it and secondly, be prepared to do the work. I'm going to talk more next week about the process of recovery. So thinking about choosing the right help... Perhaps we're stuck in a situation that we're trying to solve ourselves. Maybe it's pride that is stopping us getting other help. A different perspective is rarely unhelpful, even if the only thing gained from it is confirmation that we are doing the right thing. If life was a game show, I would like to think it would be who wants to be a millionaire and that we have lifelines to use when we need them. Even then, we need to pick the right person for the card we are going to use. I would not phone Rob to ask a question about horses, nor Gaynor to ask about DIY. Sorry, Gaynor. Life is not a game show, and we are not restricted to four lifelines. We have them all around us, all the time, if we choose to use them. So part of reaching out has to be the decision to choose the right resources – And although prayer is obviously a huge part of it, it is not our only option. It can lead us to the right option. I imagine that joke that I said earlier with a woman with a broken arm praying for healing and God yelling out, go to the hospital or to the man with a spray muscle. God saying, do the physio. Does anyone ever do all the physio they have been advised to? Or someone struggling with deeper issues. Go see a therapist I think knowing there are lifelines can be the change from despair to hope because however it feels, none of us are alone in this. We firstly believe in a God who loves us, who does not want us to live in despair, injured, stuck. If we dare, we can seek the way of love which he has not only taught us about but shown to us. If we feel held in God's love, it gives us space to learn, to trust and grow and thrive. We belong to a community which will support us, will signpost us to the right lifelines we need. We have others to be with us. Being with. I'm going to finish with this. There is a difference between being with and being for. Being there for someone is weighty, an obligation. There is a pressure to be enough, and we might feel out of our depth. Clients often start with me imagining that I have a power to fix them, that they tell me their troubles, and I produce a rabbit out of a hat and everything is sorted, that I am there for them. Part of the work is always about them knowing instead that they have the answers they need. They just need someone to be with them, someone to guide them into finding them. I think I would have burnt out a few years ago if I believed I was there for my clients. I am there with my clients. That is not weighty. It is very simple. It keeps me from taking on the weight of their hurt, which would cripple me. It does not mean I am not affected by it, but it is very different standing alongside someone than having to carry them. I think perhaps in a church context, understanding that we are only ever expected to be with each other would make it easier to reach out to each other. There have been many times when I have seen someone obviously upset and have not gone over to them because I myself am at capacity and the fear of having to carry someone else is just too heavy. So I imagine church is a place where, sadly, we do feel alone with our wounds sometimes when it really does seem like it should be a place where we can all be more open about them in order to feel that we have been met and validated that we can discuss possible lifelines with another. Perhaps knowing that we are only expected to be with each other will take the pressure off a fear of being asked to be there for another. And perhaps knowing that we are only asking people to be with us will make it easier to be open about how we are. We are all struggling at times with this business of being human. Being heard and validated is so simple, we can all do it. It works for five-year-olds and it works for 95-year-olds. Perhaps after the service, you might feel brave enough to tell someone how you really are, just in a sentence or two. And the other person could just be with you without feeling a need to provide a solution or make anything better. Could just say something like, oh, that's tough, or how annoying, or even how wonderful, if that is what is being shared. Spreading the joy is just as important as sharing the pain. So I hope I've expanded a little on the theme of reaching out towards recovery. Next week, we will think more about the process of recovery. And if you have any questions, please feel free to ask me after the service. I will hand back to Lee to finish with a prayer.
1: Father, we thank you so much for what Jess has shared this morning. I just pray right now, Lord, that you will bring to mind any words that we really need to hear. That's probably different for each of us. And Father, one of the things that we are ambitious to do here at Oasis Bath is to be a collective of people, to share life with each other. So Father, I just pray that you bring to mind any words that are for us as a collective, for us as a community of your people trying to live life with people, to see transformation in our lives and those, of, and of those around us. Father, I pray for courage for each of us sat here uh, this morning, for each of us that are watching, for each of us that are watching later. Father, I pray for courage to actually uh, look at ourselves, to think about ourselves and our situations and where there's areas that we need help. Father, I pray for those of us that do have those areas. I pray, Lord, that you give us courage to make that first step. Maybe it's to send a text. Maybe it's to make a phone call. Maybe it's to send an email. Whatever it may be, Father, I pray for that courage to take that first step, Lord Jesus. Father, I thank you that you don't come here and judge us, that you don't attach shame or guilt to anything that's happened to us or even the actions we've taken. But Father, I thank you too that you love us so much that you don't want us to be stuck in that place of difficulty, a place that causes us ourselves harm. So Father, I pray, Lord, that you lovingly lead us to where we need to go, to the steps that we need to take. That we will hear you and we will follow your lead, Lord Jesus. Father, we pray for Jess this week as she... Uh, continues to think about what she's going to share next week, Lord Jesus. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you just bring to mind the right words that are both good for her and for us, Lord. Be still and know that I am God, is what you say in the Bible. Father, I pray that you'll help us to find those times where we can be still and know that you are God, whatever our situations. Amen.
0: You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org.